Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. One of the most significant issues that I've observed over the past years in Southern Baptist life particularly has been the diminishing of Bible teaching in our church programming. Now, this has led to a rising level of biblical illiteracy, not in the culture, we would expect that, but in the churches themselves. Uh, When you think back 20, 30 years ago, most Southern Baptist churches had a robust Bible teaching program that started with Sunday school, included some kind of discipleship training program, often that met on Sunday evenings or maybe on a weeknight evening. Uh, It also was often augmented by a missions program, which also taught the biblical foundations for missions and practical applications of that. This multifaceted approach to Bible teaching has largely been abandoned by most churches. And that's to our uh, loss, quite frankly. Now here at Gateway, uh, we're trying to do something about that. Uh, We are committed to teaching the Bible to everyone and to equipping leaders in our school who know how to develop approaches through churches that teach the Bible to everyone. By that I mean uh, infants, toddlers, preschoolers, younger children, older children, younger teens, older teens, young adults, middle adults, senior adults, everyone. Now, that needs to be the priority of the church, teaching the Bible to everyone. Now, let me go on to say that uh, I'm not advocating today on the podcast that we go back to old programs or old approaches. I recognize that in every generation there's a need to, to uh, recast a vision of what ministry looks like in the context and culture and schedule and life demands that every generation faces. But in spite of all those kinds of things that have to be addressed, the, the core issue of guaranteeing or assuring that Bible teaching is at the center of the educational program of a church just simply can't be abandoned. Now, as I said, uh, we're working on that here at Gateway in a number of different ways. Of course, we teach this kind of approach in our curriculum and throughout our classes and those kinds of things. But beyond that, we're hosting in a few days a major conference called the Proclaim Conference Teaching the Bible. Now, this podcast is not just a promotion for that conference, but it does also include a promotion for the conference. So let me say a couple things about that. The conference is on January 25th from 9 to 4 here at the Ontario campus. Uh, The cost is $45 per person, but if a church registers as a group, it's $250 for a church, and you can bring as many people as you want to bring. Now, this conference is going to focus on Bible teaching on how to develop approaches and methods and programs of Bible teaching for all age groups and all ministries within the church. It'll also include worship, some preaching to inspire us to do this job more effectively, and all the other aspects of what you might uh, expect from a first-rate conference like this one will be. Now, if you want more information or you want to register, the best way to do that is to go to gs.edu, our website, look at the events page, and you can see there where to click to register for the Proclaim Conference, Teaching the Bible to Everyone. Now, as part of the podcast today, I've invited one of the organizers of that conference, Dr. Paul Kelly, to be my guest. Uh, Paul has a long life of ministry focused primarily on students, or what we have sometimes called youth ministry. Uh, He was a youth pastor and then uh, morphed into becoming a national youth leader, particularly in developing curriculum for Bible teaching. 
Uh, he was the editor of Discipleship Resource Development for Lifeway Christian Resources for a time in his career. And then he was the vice president for Ministry Resource Development at Student Life, where he was responsible to ve- for developing the curriculum that was uh, used by that ministry. About 11 years ago, I talked Paul into joining the faculty here at Gateway, and he's been teaching for us ever since and developing all kinds of approaches to uh, youth ministry, student ministry, and also other age group ministries within church Bible teaching programs. Um, I really admire Paul now because he's been focusing these latter years of ministry on mentoring uh, young, uh, younger ministry leaders, particularly youth pastors or student pastors, and helping them to be even more effective. It was my privilege a few years ago, for example, to, uh, to speak to that mentoring group a couple of times and to really facilitate helping to develop them through Paul's influence. So, Paul, thank you for joining me today on the podcast. Thanks, Jeff. Really excited to be with you. Well, I want to talk with you today specifically about some of the content for the conference that's coming up, and beyond that, just some ideas that you have about teaching the Bible to everyone. You know, I've already talked about how I feel like that uh, we've really lost Bible teaching as a focus of church ministry. Uh, what are, From your perspective, what are some of the reasons this has happened, and uh, more importantly, what can we do about it? Yeah, I think there's a lot of different things that have happened in churches to change things. Some of it's logistical, honestly. The the uh, idea of teaching uh, Bible study at the church is um, uh, it, it requires a lot of space. And out here in California, as well as in other places, space is, is expensive. It's hard to get to. Uh, so a lot of churches have moved to home-based groups, and they haven't taken with that a real intention to, to, to teach the Bible in home groups. I think, you know, we've talked about how at times churches have focused an awful lot more of their attention on assimilation and fellowship, which are really important aspects and good things, but they've created groups that the primary focus is not Bible study, but is relationship building. And while I think that's good, I think that we've missed something in the mix of that. There, um, There are an awful lot of churches uh, that are trying to simplify. You know, the kind of structure that we used to have was a leadership-intensive structure that caused us to need to do a lot of leadership development and leadership training. And if I can just get someone to lead, uh, to, to allow you to watch a video and then ask some discussion questions, it doesn't require the same level of leadership. So I think that there's a desire in a lot of churches to try to simplify. And while I think that all of those things things uh, are contributing factors to why we've, we've sort of gotten to where we are. It is a big concern to me that so many of our churches are not really engaging people in knee-to-knee kind of Bible study where people have their noses in the book, scratching out God's truth and trying to apply it to their lives. Uh, that seems like an important, an important distinction. Paul, that is excellent insight. I think your first comment about churches moving toward more of a fellowship or assimilation model for small group studies, especially with adults, is very accurate. I don't think we need to abandon those things as goals, but I agree with you. We have to find a way to uh, intensify our leadership development, particularly in helping people become more skilled at Bible teaching and delivering the Word of God in those same fellowship assimilation contexts. You know, again, referencing how things were done, uh, not mandating that we go back to that, but just referencing how things were done. When churches used a Sunday school model primarily, 
Part of that was teacher training and a weekly teacher's meeting in which the pastor or some other ministry leader actually taught the teachers the biblical content and gave them insight into what needed to be communicated and then, of course, gave them some guidance on helping them to understand how to communicate that in different age groups or different age levels or different, mm-hmm. uh, uh, different uh, uh, needs throughout the church. So we need to recapture the, the intentionality of Bible teaching, even in the context of a fellowship or assimilation type group structure, whether it meets in a home or what meets in a church building, we need to re, uh, re, recapture that intentionality. And then secondarily, as you've said, and I wholeheartedly agree, we have to uh, refocus on developing leaders who do more than moderate discussion, but actually are trained in content uh, develop uh, content delivery and actually given content and help to learn how to underst- uh, understand that content so well that they can deliver it in their small group settings. Now, this leads us to another issue, and that is that teaching the Bible well in a church structure focuses more than just on teaching it to adults. Right. Uh, teaching the Bible well requires an age-graded approach. As I've already mentioned, this includes infants, toddlers, preschoolers, younger and older children, younger and older teens, young adults, maturing adults, senior adults. Paul, why is it important to have different methodologies for these different age groups, even though you're trying to communicate biblical truth to all of them? Yeah, it, it's really important, Jeff, to, 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 to understand that people change and develop throughout their lives. And those changes and developments affect the way that they learn. So that when a when a baby's first born, he he's learning, he's growing, he's, his brain is engaged in everything that he sees and everything that he does. And so he starts this process of development. But as he progresses through the life cycle, he's going to change in terms of the way that he takes in information and plays with and experiences truth. Uh, for children, uh, some have said that, that play is their work for young children. Um, and so having a Bible study that looks like a senior adult Bible study for preschoolers just doesn't help them to acquire anything. Uh, we, we need for them to be engaged in, in, in moving around and playing with ideas and, and, uh, and using concepts uh, like, like what Vygotsky used to talk about as scaffolding, where we're teaching as they're doing. Um, those kinds of things become really important. Now, if I did a senior adult class like that, I don't think it would be very effective. Uh, Younger teenagers tend to learn a little differently than older teenagers. They tend to have a more difficult time putting thoughts and feelings into into words. Uh, So the discussion that works so well for older teenagers tends to be a little difficult for younger teenagers. It really is important as we understand the way people develop to try to help them to gain information in, in ways that they can really take and use. You know, Paul, you've just said, again, two very important things. First of all, you've really underscored that every person from infant through senior adult can learn biblical truth and assimilate it um, into their thinking processes. You know, I, I, my wife is a preschool specialist, as right. you know, and so I've heard many, many uh, presentations from her, some formal and some over the dinner table, <laughs> about how infants learn. Now, I honestly know very little about that. I've not really taught very many classes with six-month-old children in them, but my wife has. Mm. And she astounds me with her, the research that she cites and the information that she's gathered about what children, uh, what what infants can learn even before they can verbalize, even before they can uh, crawl. 
they're already learning and they can even begin to internalize biblical truth mm. at, that, at that age. Mm. And you've also said that not only can people learn at all phases and stages of life, but it's important to develop teaching approaches that are uh, geared to those, appro- those appropriate developmental phases. You know, we see this applied so well in school districts or school systems, be they public or private. Uh, you go into a preschool classroom, a kindergarten classroom, a third grade classroom, a seventh grade classroom, a twelfth grade classroom, you're going to see very different teaching materials, very different teaching approaches. And yet we sometimes at church rely on just the one approach. I'm going to tell you what the Bible says, right. you're going to sit and listen to it, and then you're going to go out and do it. Uh, that leads me to ask you this question. What are some varieties of teaching approaches that we can use with t- in teaching the Bible? And why are those varieties uh, 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 important, even varieties within age ranges, like varieties even among teaching adults? Yeah. Well, in, in terms of why they're important, uh, a lot of the research that's been done on, on teaching and learning uh, suggests that if you look at all of the different approaches you can use for teaching and learning, um, that all of them have value. And if you focus on uh, people's learning styles, how they learn best, that people enjoy learning in ways that sort of fit their own personal style. But what we've discovered through research is that the things that produce the best outcomes for us in terms of teaching and learning, the things that cause us to actually do the best job in retention of information and application of information and critical thinking, and almost any way that we can measure learning, what works best is a multimodal approach to learning. That is, that we use a variety of ways of teaching, that people actually learn better when they learn in ways that do fit their their own learning style and that don't fit their own learning style than they do if we only teach them according to their own learning style. So all of our research suggests that, that it's important that we do that. In terms of how that works, you know, certainly we want to use things like, you know, sharing information with them, t- you know, lectures, uh, if, if you will. We want to also use things like discussion that asks questions and allows them to, to chew on it as a group. We want to use opportunities for them to be able to, to get case studies and play with those case studies. We want to, uh, to try to approach uh, learning through stories and storying. Um, we, we, uh, we can use highly creative methods. You know, we can use more analytical ways of analyzing a text, and, and uh, that's going to be really helpful for some folks, uh, graphing it out in terms of what it looks like or, or graphing the sentences of the text. Those kinds of things are, are helpful uh, for, for, for some folks in terms of learning. Uh, we can also use, especially for younger learners, uh, games or activities or simulations that allow them to sort of play with the text. Uh, we can use things that, that a- ask them to sort of embody the text, drama or art or things like that. And those work especially well for, for younger students. Uh, we, we tend to use uh, object lessons a lot with young children, uh, which is kind of funny because young children actually don't have great ability to get the connections between the symbol and, the, and what's being symbolized. But as soon as we sort of get that that ability in adolescence, um, there's a tendency for us to quit using object lessons. And I actually think that object lessons are really great teaching methods for teenagers and, and, and in some cases for adults. Uh, lots and lots of ways we can approach teaching. Well, Paul, you're a seminary uh, professor, and all that rolls off your tongue so easily. But <laughs> frankly, most people who are teaching the Bible in church ministry contexts are lay people who have 
very limited time to devote to developing their their uh, their lessons. Uh, they may have very limited understanding of educational um, design and curriculum design, and they may have a very limited understanding of developmental processes and developmental phases of life. Now, that doesn't mean, though, that this person out there in the church can't take advantage of all of this information, and the way that's done, I think, is by a church choosing a good curriculum that is built on sound educational principles and good understanding of developmental processes. Now, I am frustrated uh, that some churches uh, choose curriculum by how much it costs, and certainly cost is a factor. They also choose curriculum by how glossy it's printed or how mm-hmm. attractive it appears to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, they sometimes choose curriculum because of how easy it appears to be to use. But really, the best curriculum is not built on any of those things for its foundation. The best curriculum is built on a good understanding of educational design and of developmental processes and of how curriculum uh, can be, or, or how curriculum guides a teacher to de- to teach appropriately for the age group and the developmental phase that their students have. Now, I've just said a lot about it. I'd like to for you to talk a little bit about uh, good curriculum design. And yeah. when you're thinking about choosing a curriculum for your church, uh, what should you be looking at yeah. besides the cost and the glossiness and the ease of usability or the appearance of ease? What should you be looking a little deeper to decide about how to choose a good curriculum? Yeah, I, I think that's that's huge, Jeff. And this is really, I mean, this is the reason why I invested 12 or 13 years of my life in curriculum development, because I believe that if you, um, I, I, I never expected anyone to take a lesson that we developed at Lifeway or at Student Life and teach it exactly like we wrote it. Um, I, I want to try to take that and adapt it to my own sense of comfort, my own uh, uh, connection with my class, with uh, uh, the things that I know they're going to respond well to and the things that I know that they won't respond well to. And I certainly want to pray that through so that I'm asking the Holy Spirit to move in me and in them as we're working on that. But I do think that finding a curriculum, first of all, that, that, that has a high view of Scripture. There are an awful lot of curriculum out there that use the Bible as sort of a, a touch point. Okay, let's read this verse, and then we're going to talk about something tangentially related to that. That's unfortunate. You know, we, we want to teach the Bible, not curriculum. So the focus really should be finding a, uh, a a Bible study curriculum that has a high view of Scripture. Beyond that, we really want to find something that uses a multimodal approach to teaching that doesn't just have a series of points to lecture on, but also gives me good discussion questions, that has good illustrations. Uh, if, if I'm looking at curriculum for, for older children, that my curriculum should have an appropriateness of having them work out some things related to their faith and projects and things like that. Uh, So I want to look for curriculum that's age appropriate, uh, but also has a, a multimodal kind of an approach to, to, to teaching that includes some, some a variety of teaching methods. Not because I'll use everything the curriculum says, but because it gives me ideas about how something could be taught. Um, so I think those are, the, those are the things that I would look for the most. I certainly want to find curriculum that, uh, um, that will have a strong 
call to application and to uh, to personal action. Uh, so I want my curriculum to really lead us to uh, be to be who God calls us to be and to do the things that God's called us to do and to live out the stories and the truths in Scripture uh, in ways that are dynamic and powerful. I think that's a very good answer, Paul, but I would go back to say that uh, people that are teaching the Bible in churches don't need to be intimidated by all of this need to have an understanding of curricular design or developmental processes or educational uh, uh, approaches, what they need to understand is that there are people who make this their life work, and those Mm -hmm. people develop good curriculum, and being able to look at curriculum through those eyes and Mm -hmm. see what's there is more important than every layperson being able to analyze all this themselves. So it's very important the curriculum you choose, and I hope that pastoral leaders and others who make those decisions who are hearing the podcast today will understand that curriculum design really goes far beyond price or glossiness or even Mm. perceived usability. It goes deeper than that, and you have to make sure you choose a curriculum that not only is uh, based strongly in the Bible and communicates the Bible throughout, but also has built within it this this organizational or this educational design that we're talking about here that really does lead people through a process of development over the years. Now, before you and I started making the podcast today, we were talking about some of the distinctives of what it means to be a teacher in a church context Mm -hmm. and to be a person who leads a Bible teaching program in a church context. And so let's talk about a few of those. Uh, the first one we talked about is that uh, our Bible teaching needs to be text-driven. You've already alluded to this in your curriculum design, but uh, can you talk more about that? Uh, it's not about teaching curriculum. It's about teaching the Bible. Right. And good curriculum design reinforces that. So how do you prioritize or how do you emphasize prioritizing the Bible in a Bible teaching program? Yeah, I, I, I do think there are times when we may want to teach a minor point in Scripture But for the most part, our job in teaching the Bible is to teach what the Bible says, not what we would like to tell people. Um, So there there needs to be a focus on looking at a passage of Scripture within its context, within uh, the book. So, for example, if I'm looking at uh, a passage that is out of Paul's Paul's letter to the Corinthians, I want to know a little bit about the Corinthian church and the kinds of things that he's saying to the Corinthians. Likewise, if I'm looking at an Old Testament story, and I'm trying to teach an Old Testament story, I want to know how that fits into the story of the history of Israel. So giving them a little bit of a sense of context helps me to better interpret the passage in terms of what it meant to its original hearers. And I think that is the first step, is that we have to understand what it meant to the people that heard it first within their cultural context. Then we look for those things that are the eternal principles, those things that the Bible teaches that are true, not just for the people that they were immediately spoken to, but for the people of all time, because the Bible has this amazing ability to speak to every culture in every time. But if we don't understand what it meant to the original hearers, we probably don't have a good idea of what it means for us. Beyond that, then, we try to find ways to communicate that truth um, in, in ways that, that help people to, to, to grab hold of it and to use it. Um, I think by doing that, we teach people a, a good sense of the whole story of Scripture. We re-emphasize over and over 
again the major themes, the major doctrines and truths of Scripture as they come up in the Bible, and we help people to make application in terms of how their lives need to line up with Scripture, maybe not just how Scripture lines up with their life. That's excellent. The text does need to drive our teaching. The text needs to be the centerpiece of what we're communicating. And yes, good curriculum design helps us to do that, but nothing diminishes that what we're really trying to do is raise the level of biblical literacy and biblical application of text in the lives of people. That's awesome. Well, another distinctive of teaching the Bible is how relational um, it is and how relationships matter so much in teaching. Now, we started the podcast by talking about the fact that some churches today are emphasizing relationships and assimilation uh, as almost the full purpose of their small group or their, of their, of their small group ministry, and we're advocating for a balance of that. But we're not advocating giving up the relational aspects of Bible teaching because it does take place in the context of relationships. One of my most meaningful uh, stories about this related to when I was first becoming a Christian. I did not grow up in a Christian family. No one in my family attended church. I started attending a Sunday school at a Baptist church and uh, became a Christian uh, in about the sixth or seventh grade. And my teacher was a man named E.Y. Washam. Hmm. He was a retired carpenter. He wore really thick glasses. Uh, They looked like the bottoms of glass Coke bottles, if anybody remembers that era. His eyes sort of looked like they were bugging out because his glasses were so thick. And Brother Washam came to Sunday school every week and read to us from the curriculum. Uh, It was not exactly the most scintillating approach to Bible teaching that I've ever experienced. He was delivering the truth, and I'm sure I learned things from him because he was important in influencing my early development as a Christian. But what really made him special in my life was how much he cared for me. Mm. Uh, He came to my house about once a month, knocked on my door, asked how I was doing, uh, talked with me about how I was doing in school, how I was doing at church, met my family, none of which, of course, came to church and in appropriate ways invited them to participate in church with me. I remember one time standing out in my front yard with him because I, I didn't even want him to come in my house because there were things going on in there that I didn't really want him to know about or see, and I was embarrassed by them. And we stood out in my front yard, and he just talked to me about church and about school and just let me know that he cared about me and that he was praying for me. And then about uh, every month or two, he would have our class over to his house, and his wife would make these cookie things with this pile of marshmallow goo on them. And and, uh, and we would eat those things like they were the greatest thing in the world. And then we would go out in the front yard and play touch football. Or maybe we'd watch college football in his, in his house. Or we'd go out in the backyard and we'd work on some kind of silly craft or something. I don't remember a lot of the details of what we did. I just remember being at his house and, and what that meant to me. Hmm. And so... Um, relationships matter in Bible teaching. Mm. Uh, They form the the context in which people are able to assimilate truth and learn uh, really important principles and be be transformed by them because of the safety, if you will, they feel in those relationships. Paul, would you like to add anything about why relationships matter so much in teaching or maybe building off my story uh, with, uh, with some of your own experiences of why relationships make such a difference in teaching the Bible? 
Bible. Yeah, I, I think your, your story is a great illustration of, of how important relational ministry is, certainly to children, to young, to young people, but really all the research tells us that it's, it's really important to, uh, to adults as well, uh, th- that for some reason— um, when we learn from an adult that we feel, or when we learn from a teacher that we feel connected with, that we feel like we have a relationship, that we believe that person cares about us, likes us, that actually enhances learning. In, in some ways, it doesn't seem like it ought to. I remember having a, a, a professor at seminary that, that was a very, very wise man, and I always thought he hated me, you know, and because of that, I really sort of didn't like his class. For some reason, we learn better when we feel connected to the teacher. And I'm not sure I can really explain why. Beyond that, we learn better when we're in an environment where we're, we feel a sense of connection and camaraderie with the people around us. That when we feel like that we have a place, that we belong in a room, that we belong there with this group of people, that that creates a dynamic that causes us to really learn better. Um, I, I think those those kinds of things are huge. It definitely has been huge in my life. In fact, one of my mentors, uh, uh, Dr. Rick Yaunt, who who taught principles of, of teaching back at uh, in my days at Southwestern Seminary, used to say that that relationships was one of three pillars in terms of how learning happens. It happens cognitively, it happens affectively, and it happens relationally, and all are close to comparable in terms of the difference they make in people's in people's learning. And I think this is one of the distinctives of being a Bible teacher in the Christian context, and that is we're not just communicating information. We're communicating information in the context of relationships. And so we're not trying to uh, diminish one or, or increase one to diminish the other, we're trying to say that both of them really matter. Absolutely. Well, one last distinctive of teaching the Bible is the power and work of the Holy Spirit mm. in that, in that uh, teaching moment. Um, the Holy Spirit works in the lives of teachers who prepare material. He's always at work in the lives of students throughout their week and in bringing their lives to a place of learning readiness to hear the Bible taught. And he's at work in the moment when the Bible teaching is taking place mm. to accomplish what what only he can do. Uh, the uh, What would you say about the Holy Spirit's role in teaching and the importance of trusting him to empower what we do and how that's distinctive from maybe mm-hmm. teaching engineering or nursing or some other thing? We're teaching the Bible, and it has a spiritual dimension. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. Um, it, the outcome of good Bible study, maybe more than anything else, at least from my read of Scripture, is that we are transformed. Not merely that we get new information, but that we are transformed, Paul says, by the renewing of our minds, but it also includes the renewing of our hearts and the renewing of our actions, that we actually become something different because we're affected by the teaching. Now, my read is that only happens by the power and work of the Holy Spirit. In a sense, teaching the Bible is almost a setup because the thing that I most want to accomplish, I can't do. So unless I teach with a partnership with the Holy Spirit where I am expecting him to infuse me with understanding and knowledge that's beyond my own ability and give me a sense of power that's beyond my own ability to understand and that I expect him to be working first of 
of all in me as the teacher, but I also trust that he's at work in the people that I'm teaching, that he's already been calling them to action, calling them to a life of, of, of being transformed as believers in Christ, uh, that in that process of praying through, of, of, of looking for the work of the Holy Spirit, that's where real Christian teaching comes about. It's a little different than teaching a math class. Yes, uh, it is. Yes, it certainly is. Well, Paul, thank you for joining me today. If we have whetted your appetite, so to speak, on this issue of teaching the Bible to everyone, I hope you will, uh, if you live anywhere in the Southern California area, uh, participate in the conference on January 25th. Again, it's from 9 to 4. The cost is $45, or if your church wants to bring a group, it's $250 per church, and you can bring all the people you want. The fastest way to register or to gain more information is to go to gs.edu and look at the events page, and you'll find everything you need there to help you participate in the conference. Well, this podcast is not just about promoting a conference. It's about promoting the importance of teaching the Bible to everyone. You're a ministry leader, and you have a responsibility, particularly in a church context, to make sure that everyone from infant to senior adult has the opportunity to learn the Word of God. That takes intentional determined effort, particularly in a culture like we live in today, and particularly in a church culture, which has slowly diminished this responsibility over the past couple of decades. So I'm calling on you today, do whatever you have to do to raise the priority of teaching the Bible to everyone. You can do it as we lead on.